Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Okay, the early 2000s, we'll lose an Audi A6s. They're just vanishing off the face of the earth. We'll lose a 510 a week. And they're not turning up anywhere. They're not showing up chopped. No one's driving or driving them and getting arrested. They're just vanishing. So we know the cars are getting shipped. What we find out is you've got a, a Chinese ex-military, well, I wouldn't call him ex, but a military intelligence officer in Brooklyn. He hooks up with this Jamaican middleman in the Bronx. And the middleman knows all these car thieves. So the Chinese guys put an order in for 25 to 30 stolen Audi A6s a month. The Jamaican middleman farms this off to steel teams. So the, the scam worked like this. The Asians would pay the Jamaican middleman 5000 a car. The Jamaican would pay the car thieves between 500 to $1,000 a car. They'd steal a couple of cars at a time. They'd park them on the street, let them cool off. Then they would bring them out to this warehouse they had in Brooklyn on Metropolitan Avenue. It looked like a regular warehouse. Every morning, the garage gate would go up. Two, three, four Audis would go in. They'd shut the door or the gate. Inside, you had shipping containers. They would drive two stolen Audis per shipping container. They'd let the air out of the tires so the car would sit lower. They would build wooden frames above the two stolen Audis, and then they would hoist another one or two cars in there so they were able to put between three to four stolen Audis per shipping container. Then they would call a trucking company. They would come and pick up the container. They would take the container out to Newark, New Jersey. They were put on trains. They were railed across the United States. Then they were loaded on cargo ships in Long Beach, California and shipped to Shanghai. And this was going on for years. And what would happen is either the cops would get too close or they got a close call. The Chinese would close up shop and vanish for six months, eight months. And then they would reappear, rent out another garage. This was going on for quite some time before we finally figured out what they were doing. So we had multiple wiretaps. That's the beauty of working for the New York City Police Department. We have so many members. We had we grabbed seven or eight cops that could speak a variety of dialects, Cantonese and Mandarin, to monitor the Asian wiretaps. We had Spanish cops because our car thieves were Spanish, monitoring their wire, their uh, phone conversations. So we got this international car theft ring going. And what we quickly figure out is these guys, the, the thieves, are also in the murder for hire business. And they're talking about whacking this guy and killing that guy. At one point during the case, these guys went down to Woodbridge, Virginia, and they hit a Harley Davidson dealership, did a commercial burglary, stole a bunch of motorcycles and jackets and helmets. They bring it up to the Bronx. I mean, you would think that stealing cars to ship out of the country was keeping these guys busy enough. Uh-uh. These guys were stealing everything that couldn't be nailed down. Then what they did was they're selling stuff out of their garage piecemeal, these jackets and motorcycles. A couple of neighborhood kids figure out where they've got this stolen stuff stash. So what they do is they do a burglary and break into these guys' garage and steal their stuff. Well, these guys got pissed off and in the middle of our case, killed a guy for breaking into their stuff. So we had to yank two of these guys off the playing fields in the middle of the case. But we, we didn't jeopardize the international shipping case. But when we took that case down, I mean, we locked up four or five Chinese nationals probably close to 10 or 12 car thieves, and we solved or cleared between 13 and 15 homicides. So, I mean, you never really know what you're getting involved in. 
And once you go up on a phone, you know, we call it going up on a phone. I mean, just the, the possibilities are endless of, you know, where, what criminal activities these guys and what direction they're going to take you in. Yeah. Anything that big, uh, you're talking, I mean, it's, I, I, I kind of think of those guys as the same level as like the cartels down in Mexico that, yeah, they're, some of them are moving drugs, some of them are moving people, but ultimately they're going to be involved in everything. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a reason they find these big mass graves down there is because I'm sure they, they identify a whole bunch of people and then, uh, you know, that are causing them problems or, or any kind of resistance. And then ultimately they're, they round them up and uh, put them all in the in the ground together. Yeah, same as the guys that are like digging tunnels for that, right? So you know, over the border of Tijuana, they dig these you know thousand feet tunnels that pop up in a warehouse in the United States. A lot of times, the guys that design those tunnels or work on those tunnels, they kill them because they know where it is. So I mean, they're expendable. After that tunnel has been completed, they're expendable. Yeah. I don't know if you heard uh, Elon Musk was talking about, uh, you know, the tunnels and they're actually trying to develop technology that'll detect them. And I don't know if they're they're looking for you know, the the sound of digging the tunnel or or the hollowness of it or what. But he, he was also saying, by the way, the Israeli military would pay you big bucks for that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure at some point there might be technology for that already in the infancy stages, or there will be. That, and that makes a lot of sense where you could find a void over a period of time. I mean, nowadays, I mean, with topography and everything, they're mapping the ocean. So why why wouldn't they be able to find a tunnel, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I imagine the question is how often can they sweep that area you know, there's a lot of lot of lot of ground to cover. So, what what is the border? Of, well, it's not. It's usually not the border. It's usually into a city like San Diego or something like that, where you're you're tunneling into an actual city, and then you can come up underneath a certain certain point. But yeah, they're sure good at it. It works for them. I mean, and they're doing it. You know, they're doing it. You know, mules walking it over. They're they're loading up trucks. I remember when I when I was in autocrime, we got called to a garage in the Bronx um, off of Southern Boulevard. Narcotics had this long term case. It was it was an eighteen wheeler that had come up from Mexico and believe it or not, made its way to the Bronx. And um, they, you know, I guess through phone intercepts and informants and everything, the um, the truck goes to this garage in the Bronx. It was at night too. It was like eight nine o'clock at night. They watched this eighteen wheeler go in. And it was a refrigerated truck too. And uh, they waited a couple of minutes and they rushed in. And what they found was in the, in the back of this 18 wheel, where you would think the refrigerated unit is, popped open. And I think they got like 450 or 500 keys. And the guys were divvying it up because, and I've seen this before because I've made a couple of kilo arrests in my career. It's almost like UPS with like a, or, or an Amazon package with a label on it. So, you would be RoboCop and I would be NYPD and the bricks of Coke would have different things written on it with a Sharpie or stamped with a logo on it. Well, all right, that's going to Jared. That's going to Vic. And, you know, they were, they were whacking it up. There were duffel bags and everything. And forget what they brought us in there for to ID a couple of the bad guys' cars that showed up to pick up the kilos. But, oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's big and it's sophisticated. Well, when you're talking billions of dollars... 
you know, there's uh, there's a lot of money. You can bring in a lot of shady people, and uh, everybody, uh, frankly, if they can make ten times what they can working on a farm or or working a job, you know, somewhere else, then yeah, you it's there's 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 never going to be a lack of opportunity to commit crime. So, it's human nature, you know. Well, in fact, as you were talking, one of the things that popped in my head out of the New York City area. How many vehicles a year are stolen out of there? So when I was active in the early 90s, pre-Giuliani, we were averaging 150,000 stolen vehicles a year. Holy cow. Yeah. When I retired, I think the number was down to like 20 or 25,000, like when I retired in 2007. So we had brought it down quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how some people just insist that there's no correlation between major crimes like homicide and rape and then you know all the other crimes all the way from burglary up to auto theft and i mean in my mind i'm like no there's a direct relation to that so as one is going up then the dollar signs keep getting bigger and as the dollar signs keep getting bigger it's kind of like the the again at the border if there's massive numbers of people coming across the border the people that are instigating that and the people that are making that happen at a at a quicker rate are making more money. Well, as more and more money is made, the willingness to defend that, even even with you know massive violence, uh, goes up. Yeah. And you know when when you start messing with people's billion dollar business, they are going to frankly not like that. You know and. If they if they decide, hey, you're the problem that uh, is is slowing our business down, the easiest way is just take care of them. Oh yeah, they'll throw everything they have at you, and also it throws a lot of things. So now they got all this money, they want toys, right? And they don't want and they don't want to pay for it new. I saw that with drug dealers up in New York, and I'm talking, about, I mean, not making money like the cartel guys, but you're talking about drug dealers that are making thirty, forty thousand dollars a week, right? I mean. They were driving all the newest of cars. We used to call them tag jobs. So, you know, they, they didn't want to go to the Mercedes or BMW dealership and pay $60,000 for a new, you know, M3 or something. So they'd hire somebody to steal an M3, change the VIN number on it, and it'd be a toy for them. You know, what, jet skis or a boat or like you said, they're making all this money and they are criminals. A lot of them, like, they spend their money on the illegal market, if you could believe that. How many of them actually become legitimate business people? They don't. They set up businesses to launder the money. So if you go up to like a place in Washington Heights, which is the whole the whole neighborhood is is Dominican. When I was working there, I don't know if it's changed, but when I was up where up there, it was clothing. The whole neighborhood was clothing places, restaurants, and telecommunicado places where you could call the Dominican Republic for eight cents a minute. You know, it was all these businesses. That more than likely were were started with drug money. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, I, it's you know one of the things I I love talking to NYPD guys is you know New York is kind of a if you were to take basically all the cities from all across the country and put them in one location, it would basically be equivalent of New York. Yeah, I mean you just have you have everything there. It's you have, uh, you know, gangs from every every race and country. You have uh, 
any kind of industry there that you can possibly think about, all the way from uh, money laundering and you know white collar financial crimes. You know, especially with the the financial centers that are there, uh, all the way down to sex trafficking and human trafficking, and it's just it's all there. And so the the expertise that NYPD officers make are to me it's just you you get such a such a cross pollinization of everything that's 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 a great yeah cross pollinate that's a great analogy i mean it's true you see so much you know and it's funny because they wanted us to work with informants quite a bit i didn't like informants because you couldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. i never i had a handful in my career I'd got very minimal from them although i worked with a guy it's in one of my books where this guy, we couldn't keep up with this informant. I mean, he was giving us, it started with auto theft and then it became home invasion and then it became guns and shipping cars to the Dominican Republic. And I mean, like all informants, he eventually got in trouble, took off to the Dominican Republic. And then he was like Anthony Hopkins at the end of Silence of the Lambs calling us from the DR. You know what I mean? Like, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, we can't talk to you anymore, right? Like, you got an active warrant here in Manhattan and DA is going to throw you in jail for years and we're not supposed to be talking to you. And he's like, oh, I'm just, invi- I'm just enjoying a drink here in the Dominican Republic. And then he calls us up a couple of, like a year or two later, my partner told me he got all shot up because I think they figured out over the DR that he was working with us. So they lit him up and he called up and told me he was in the hospital, shot up my partner. I'm like, I can't help you. Like <laughs> you're in a hospital in the Dominican Republic. I, we can't help you. But, uh, oh, that guy gave us so much stuff. The famous story with him is, he calls us up one day on a Monday and he says, um, I was with Horatio over the weekend. Horatio was this guy who was a pro- prolific car thief. I'm like, yeah. He goes, we're going down the West Side Highway and we see Mike Tyson driving a Ducati, which back then was a $30,000 motorcycle. I said, yeah. He goes, well, Horatio followed him down to the Javits Center and Tyson went into some trade show. He goes, Horatio jumped on the back of his bike, broke the ignition, and took off with Mike Tyson, stole a Ducati. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Well, where's the bike? He goes, it's in his apartment. Now, that sounds crazy to one of your listeners, but if you, if, if you saw Washington Heights, it would be no problem to drive a motorcycle into a building, into an elevator, nobody blink an eye. So I says, well, what's the apartment number? We're going to get a warrant, knock down his door, get this motorcycle back. He goes, well, hold on. He's got like three bikes in his apartment, right? Three bikes, a stolen motorcycle in his apartment. He goes, he's going to ship them. He goes, I'll give you the shipper. He goes, you can do a shipping case and get up with more stuff. I said, all right. I forget all about this. About two weeks later, it's a Sunday. I'm watching football. My partner calls me up. He goes, you want to make overtime? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, remember Mike Tyson's motorcycle? I said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. What about it? He goes, it's getting shipped tonight. I says, where, Red Hook or Newark? I'm thinking the ports. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, they took all these motorcycles apart. They, they, they bubble wrapped them, and they're in crates. And they're going to get airlifted. They go into a, uh, an air shipper place out in Kennedy Airport. So I says, all, all right. And sure enough, that night, these clowns show up with a stolen van that they took the seats out of and loaded it up with all these motorcycles. And they were going to airship it. And they got grabbed at the airport. So, I mean, with informants, you know, there's another story. One time, uh, Major Case Narcotics comes to us and says, uh, we got an informant that knows a guy, a crooked uh, clerk at DMV that pumps out phony driver's license. Well, they're good licenses, but under people's names. So if I went to this clerk at DMV, I could get a driver's license with my face, with your information, right? 
So he said, yeah, yeah, we want to talk to him. We meet. So me and my sergeant get in this car with these two detectives from Major Case. It's up in Washington Heights, pouring rain. The undercover gets in the car. He tells us how it works. We said, great, great. All right, yeah, we'll give you a call next week. We'll just set this up. He goes, all right. So the detectives go, you want us to drive around the corner? He goes, no, no, I got my hoodie on. No one's going to recognize me. I'll just get out of here. So undercover steps out of the car. The four of us, are, we're thanking the major case detectives that, you know, you know, no problem. You could work with him. While we're talking, I'll never forget it. It's pouring rain. A guy just walks past us slowly. What looked like, he looked like a delivery guy carrying bags of Chinese food. Just walked past us in the pouring rain, right? Couple of minutes later, the detective up front, the major case detective's phone rings. And he's like, yeah, yeah, really? Okay, no problem. Gets off the phone. He goes, would you guys mind hanging out and giving us a hand with an arrest? I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. What's going on? He goes, you see that fucking guy that just walked by with the, he looks like a Chinese delivery guy. We said, yeah. He goes, he's a courier. The informant spotted him after he got out of our car. What he does is a couple of times a week, he walks down to the Pathmark parking lot and makes a drop off. He goes, so he's going to drop off weight in the Pathmark parking lot. We're going we're gonna to do a rip. We're going to snatch whoever he's dr delivering the drugs to. We said, all right. So we follow this guy on foot, but in our car, goes into this Pathmark parking lot. Guy goes, walks right up to the back of this Honda Accord, opens up the back door and just gets in. He's in there about a minute, gets out without the bag. So we watched. The, the guy walk off the set because we don't want to burn the undercover because if they saw each other, he's going to say, oh, I know who spotted me. So we let him walk off. We pull over the car in the Pathmark parking lot. It's two people from Trenton, New Jersey, and they bought a key. So, I mean, it was just, we. it, it went from being us using this informant for a driver's license. He spots a courier, calls his handlers, and we get involved in a thing where we lock up these people from New Jersey that we're going to take a kilo back. Wow. So- you know, as as you're telling these stories, I'm I'm sure you've you've basically pulled the the best of of your career, but on a on a daily basis, even even in a in a city the size of New York, how often are are things like this happening? I mean, is this like daily? Is it weekly? Well, not to me, but yeah, it goes on all the time. Like your best gauge. It's funny. I tell people if you're ever in Manhattan. Go down by Chinatown and go on Baxter Street, and you're going to see the entrance to Manhattan Central Book, and it's this big, big roll-down gate that's got signs all over it, stay out, police facility, and just hang out for 15 minutes and tell me what you see. There's cars pulling up, police cars with people getting out of cars, detectives pulling up, narcotics fans pulling up, because that's where everybody goes when they get arrested in Manhattan. After they get processed in the precinct, they go down to Manhattan Central Book, or they call it the tombs because it's an underground labyrinth jail and they spend you know a day or two or three until they see the judge and i you know some of these people you're watching going to this building and never getting out you know i mean that's the entry point into the criminal justice system and depending on the crime of their record they're never getting out and you just never know what you're going to see in a precinct you just don't active active man so always always something going on in new york right definitely well, Vic, I I think we could probably go on all day, but um, tell uh, tell the audience where people can find your books and and any other uh, podcasts or anything like that. Sure. So go to the Amazon book section. Type in my name, Vic Ferrari, like the car. My book library will come up. Um, all my books have colorful colorful artwork on it, like NYPD Law and Disorder. 
All my paperbacks are ten bucks or two ninety nine ebook download. And if they want to get a hold of me, they got a question or they want to, you know, bring me on their show as a guest, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at VicFerrari50. Awesome. Well, Vic, it's been fun and I appreciate you coming on, sharing some of your experiences. It's uh it's always entertaining for the audience. Jared, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Hey, Vic, thanks. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.